In uh, uh, two, three weeks from today, we will be back into our exposition of Matthew. We'll be picking up with Matthew chapter 5 again. We'll kind of review where we've been and then begin to proceed through um, that section again. We've been in a kind of more of a topical series here on the, the value of the Word and what we understand and believe about the Word. So we'll be doing that again today. Um, the next two weeks, we'll be wrapping up this, this series. Um, next week, I'm going to be sharing about um, how God takes the Word that He places within us and how that needs to go out in action to the world. And then the week after that, um, Pastor Mike, who's back with us after surgery. Um, good news. Just don't rattle his right shoulder too much. And uh, um, he'll be closing out our time with how God, um, how the Spirit brings the Word, the word to, to penetrate our hearts. Um, even this morning, we're going to be looking at how do we understand the Word. It's one thing to understand what it says. It's another thing for it to penetrate and take root in our hearts. And, and Mike will be sharing about that. Today um, is kind of a, it'll be a bit of a speed sermon. Um, the, I, I talk fast anyways. This morning will probably be faster. So um, the, uh, the PowerPoint notes, if you're taking notes, all that stuff will be online next week when we load the message. So if you need that stuff, it's there. Um, it's more of a classroom teaching today um, than it is a sermon because we're, we're talking about how do we interpret the word. So there's just a, lots of information. So I'm just letting you know ahead that. So it's, we're treating this like a classroom today. So there's no horsing around, no gum chewing, no sleeping, texting, all that kind of stuff, or you get in trouble. So, um, and lastly, last night I kept trying to kind of um, walk through this better. I'm going to be really tied to my notes today. I kind of didn't do that last night, and I was like wandering all over the place last night. So um, I just apologize that, but I'm going to stick pretty close to what I've got here and try to um, move through the things that we have here for us today. The, um, we're talking about hermeneutics. I'll define that in a moment, but. The approach and the viewpoint that I'm going to be sharing about how do we understand the Word um, is built on the things that we've already looked at over these first weeks in the series. Um, all the things that we've established and laid out as far as, as a church, where do we land in terms of understanding the Word of God, um, is the foundation by which then we can, can look at, so then how do we understand the Word? Um, and so if we had a different foundation, we'd probably end up with a different message today. And those foundations are as follows. So let me just uh, summarize those for you so we know where our starting point has been. The first one was that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We started out with understanding that we, we need to hear from God. His revelation to us is indispensable for redemption and for life and for living. And that was our bottom line thing, that if, if he's not bringing his revelation of himself to us, um, and he particularly does it in his word, although in other places too, um, we would languish without it. It is indispensable to us um, for a living. There's an implication from that that, therefore, I'm going to trust that God wants to show me what he, about himself. So when we come to the word, we can trust it. He wants to show it to us. He's not trying to hide it from us because we need it for life. Second of all, God has chosen to reveal himself, and he has done through so through the avenue of a written word. He's given it to us in a form that we can pick up, we can hold in our hands, we can read it, we can look at it, we can examine it. It's, um, it's, it's, he's brought it to us in a form that we can actually relate to and understand. As a matter of fact, he's brought it to us in a form that people all through time, since it was brought, have been able to look at it, a written form for us, and that's important. So the words matter, as we'll see. Um, brought it to us in a form that we can examine, that we can read, and that we can understand. Um, and so as we look at interpretation, we're going on the basis for, 
He's given it to us in a way that we can understand. And so how do we understand a written word? How do we, how do we examine something that's written um, in order to understand what's there? Third of all, the story that he's given to us is one grand unified story. And so we have all these different authors, but we saw before that underneath all that we have one author, ultimately one author, the Holy Spirit who communicated the word through these people. That changes how we interpret the word. If it's one author, it ought to make sense together, right? Um, it ought to come together. And so there's supposed to be harmony in there, and that there's one driving thing that God is moving through, and that'll impact the way we look at the word. And then lastly, um, the revelation God gave to us through words is God breathed. We said that its origin is God itself, is God Himself. And so what we have here, we trust that it's tr- trustworthy, that everything he speaks to is true. And that impacts the way we interpret the word. Um, and it has, a, it has a huge impact on the way we go about that. So it does, whatever it speaks to, it does so truthfully and inerrantly. So we have God revealing himself through a divine and written revelation. It comes through human authors so that it ends up being in our language. It's a way we can understand um, because it comes through people like us. But it is still God's word. So we have this book. Right? We had a whole discussion last night. Is it okay to have like is it okay to have a digital form? Is that godly? You know, is that is it still count? Um, I was uh, I was actually talking with Dave Wynn because we were talking about passing on our faith and how it's neat if our kids see us sitting reading the word. But if you're looking at your phone, do they really know you're you're reading the word or you're just playing Candy Crush? I mean, what are you doing on that phone? So um, I don't know. But we have whatever form it is. Um, we have this divine written revelation that comes to our language. Um, so we have this book. And so the question comes in, how do we understand it? Right? How do we understand this book? How do we see clearly what God wants to reveal in it? Um, and that is really where it starts coming down to it, doesn't it? So exactly what does it say? And somebody else says one thing, and somebody else says something else. How do we get at what God wants to reveal to us um, in this word? And that is where we enter into this this whole area called hermeneutics and interpretation. So let me pray, and then we will begin to um, move through this. Lord, we we have this revelation of yourself designed to reveal your character and your nature and your glory and your plan and your purposes um, and your kingdom. And yet we would also just acknowledge that through history, um, this area of trying to interpret it has created division. Um, It's created hurt. Um, and often rather than revealing yourself, it's revealed uh, something not so good. And so, Lord, protect us from that um, while we get at what you're saying, that it would bring unity, it would bring life, it would bring um, a magnification of all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple definitions, at least in terms of how I will use them. Um, Like everything else, words over time change meanings. So like even the term evangelical had a very different meaning 50 years ago than you would define it today. So I'm going to give you the definitions as people would probably more likely understand them today, although they might not be exactly what the correct definition is, but uh, the way I'll use them today because of the way they're normally used. So the word hermeneutics, historically the term has been a broad term for the art and science of interpretation, and specifically biblical hermeneutics, the art and science of biblical interpretation. Um, But today, that word is used more often to refer to the manner in which we derive contemporary meaning from the text, the way we 
get contemporary meaning um, from the text. It's the grid, it's kind of, uh, the way we'll look at it today, it's kind of like the glasses that we use to see scripture. What's all behind our thoughts? What's, what are all our presuppositions? How do we view this book? And so that impacts the way I look at it. So if I believe it's purely a human book that God had nothing to do with it, that's a grid by which I examine the scripture. Whereas if I believe it's God's actual words, that's a grid I look through it. Um, so it's kind of the glasses you put on, the framework by which you understand the scripture as a whole. That's, what we'll, that's how we use it, at least this morning. Um, the, uh, that involves our presuppositions, our beliefs about the Bible, the way that we approach it. The term exegesis primarily just means to draw out meaning. How do we draw meaning out of the text? And exegesis is this whole big means by which we do that, and that's by and large what we'll be looking at this morning, the way we go about it. It answers the questions, what did the author originally mean? What, what does this actually say when I read it? What does it say? Do I know what it said? Um, why is it being said? Um, and ultimately, it's trying to get, at, get to the point of when the original readers and hearers heard it, what did they understand? So when the early church, the church of Ephesus, got the book of Ephesians, what did they understand it to mean? That's the purpose of exegesis, try to draw that out. And then once I understand what they understood, that's what God communicated, then I can say, so what is it saying to me? What's it saying to us here and now today? But we have to first understand what the text originally meant, and that's the purpose of exegesis, drawing out the meaning from the text. The word interpretation is today, generally we just use that in general for all this, and that's okay. But today when we talk about interpretation, more often than not, we're talking about taking the original meaning from the text, how do we bring it in today? How do we, we bring it into life today and understand it uh, for its meaning and application today? Um, so a couple of preliminary things I want to say before I walk into this, and these are, um, I guess, um, personal opinions, so I'll just frame them as that. So just so you know where I'm coming from a little bit as we walk through this, a couple things. One, God's word we've already talked about is infallible, it's inerrant, it's God's perfect word. What God speaks to, he always speaks truthfully. But no Christian, um, no group, or, or a church is an infallible interpreter of God's word. So we have this infallible word, but let's acknowledge, although we hopefully we get it right most of the time, and we can do that, um, there's no Christian or group or church who is an infallible interpreter of God's word. So when we come to it, interpreting and looking at it and trying to figure out what it says, we need to come humbly before it, um, waiting on God. We need to be diligent in our study. We need to listen well to others, um, and we'll look at that in a moment. That doesn't mean that we can't know anything for sure. So we have some, some hard truths that we established as a church um, that have been historically held by the church since, since Christ rose from the dead. And we believe those things are absolute, and we embrace those things. We believe the scriptures are clear about it. doesn't mean that we have questions about that. So we hold to many things absolutely and with confidence. But it's also under- important to understand that when godly, faithful people um, have disagreements about some things like baptism, um, spiritual gifts, some of these kinds of things, let's be careful to put those as secondary issues sometimes and not let them be places that divide. Um, be willing to consider these as secondary issues, not primary, and as best as possible maintain unity in the midst of diversity, knowing that we might not have it right. Um, 
this up the little board over here. Kristen uh, prepared a question for us this week. It says, um, I believe that I interpret scriptures correctly, and you can check off never, sometimes, mostly, or always. At first I thought it says, I, I interpret scriptures correctly. Well, nobody can say always, but it says, I believe, in your sense. Are you getting it right most of the time? Um, God will correct those things that we got wrong. Um, I, I can trust that God actually wants to show us his truth. We're going to see it this morning. So we can, I, hopefully, that we can sit there going, you know what? I think most of the time we're getting it right, and that's okay. But let's also understand that um, we are not infallible in that. Um, second of all, one other issue. I often um, hear frequently the phrase, and it used to be, it's not an uncommon phrase. It's been a phrase people have used forever. It's just worded differently. Um, you'll say that everybody's got a different interpretation, Right? So we, we'll have something and, and bring it into, yeah, you, that's what you think, that's fine, but everybody's got a different interpretation. Or the more common way to say it today is there's different ways to read the Bible. And behind that is this idea that there's different grids by which we can understand it, and that comes out to different conclusions. And guess what? That's true. There are all different ways. We'll see some of those different ways to read the Bible. The implication behind that oftentimes is that there is no valid right way. We can't say there is a right way. And there's a wrong way that always have equal validity. And I would just tell you my own, my own bias that is I don't believe that that's true. Um, that there are some ways of looking at scriptures that I believe are contrary to the very heart of what scripture is about. That there are um, ways to read that are actually helpful. They have some good things to it, but they're not going to give us the whole picture. And the, what I'll present today, uh, as best as I know and as best as I understand, is, is the way it's most truthfully, the truthful way to get at the heart of scripture. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to share it from that perspective. So I just want you to know that that's um, where we'll come from this morning. Um, there, this, the view that we'll look at, I think, is the most compatible view with understanding that Scripture is God's Word, very Word to us, and it'll help us get at that. Um, so a couple of things about hermeneutics. There's a lot of different hermeneutical approaches or different grids by which people have looked at Scripture through time. So I just want to really quickly just give you a few of those. Um, just to give you that there's a lot out there, there's a lot of variety. Um, most people have combinations of these, um, but I'll just share them, um, a few of them. These are not all of them, but just a few of them. One is the allegorical method. Um, this is really common in the Middle Ages. It's basically, um, when you read Scripture, what it says at face value is not what it's all about. That's really not the heart of what it's about. That there is a, a, a hidden allegorical meaning to everything. So, every, um, so if you have the parting of the Red Sea... The water has a certain meaning. It's symbolizing something. The army isn't about an army, but it symbolizes something. The, the separation of the waters symbolize walls of something and have a meaning to it. And so um, allegorical, they, they apply all these different meanings to each story. They have these hidden meanings. So um, if you, if you, it, was prim, it was very common in the Middle Ages. And so if you go back and read what some of these guys came up with, it's pretty crazy. They came up with all sorts of things that these, all these things mean. Um, and you're like, how did they ever come up with that? And the answer is, I have no idea, because nobody would come up with it. There's some ones that are really strange, I mean, just like really bizarre. The, you have the Pope all over the Old Testament. You have all these different things that go on. So um, it, it, you had to be like, you had to have some special insight to get this, and everybody had different ideas about what it was, but that was very common. We do it a little bit in that we do believe that many things are symbolic, right? And so it's important to look at that and understand that, but to purely allegorical um, you'll come up with some crazy ideas. Um, <clears throat> a second one is, uh, you, it's, it's often called letterism. 
um, or an extreme literal perspective. We believe that much of Scripture is to be taken literally. This particular hermeneutic is an extreme literalism, where everything is taken exactly as face value, without any, any symbolism, without any regard to context, without any regard to history. You take whatever it said, and that is what we're called to do. So um, when Jesus sent the disciples out by twos, which isn't a bad thing to do. It's okay. There's good things to do there. And they carried a staff, and they had a sack around it, and they had a cloak. That is how you do evangelism. So you get your four spiritual laws book. You have to have a staff in your hand. You have to put sandals on your feet. That's an extreme literalism, So, um, which may look perfectly normal in Tucson, for all I know. But it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's taking the word in that, in that respect. So... They'll, uh, extreme letterism, uh, hermeneutic, will actually take a phrase out of Scripture and will say, this is calling us to do this phrase, and they'll grab anything. It has nothing to do with what the rest of the passage is saying. Just do that. Um, it'll get you in trouble. But um, not ignoring the fact that there are many things in Scripture that we take literally, but this is an extreme part of it. Um, the third one is a rationalistic approach, which is the, the person would come to with a naturalistic worldview. And that's just looking at, understanding that scripture is just, this is ancient man's attempt to explain God. It's a human book that people, just their explanation of who God is and what he is. By the way, that shows up in our churches today in a different form, um, but we'll talk about that later. But that's um, purely to say it's a, just a human book, um, and it's their attempt to explain God. So they may not get it right at all, but we get some insights of how they understood God. That's, that would be the way to look at it. A fourth way is a devotional, to look at it from a devotional hermeneutic. Um, primarily that means I read it and I go straight to what does it say to me? What's my application of it? So that's not all bad because we all do that, right? There's a certain amount of that that's okay. I, I think the Holy Spirit does it. So if you're reading, wherever you were in our reading plan, um, maybe you're on the first week or whether you're reading Matthew this week like some of us were doing, um, you were probably reading and something grabbed your attention and God showed you something. Wow, that was, that's really neat. It just touched you. That's, that's hearing it in a devotional manner. That's, and I think the Spirit does that. The, the scriptures are, are, are rich with meaning. So even as we uncover the original meaning, God does show us all sorts of other things. So that's, it's not a bad thing. I think the Spirit does that. But the purely devotional approach to it is just to look at it and say, what does it say to me? What does it mean to me? And not seeing what did it originally mean. Um, what did it say to me? And that's, um, like I said, it has some helpfulness to it. It can get us um, in trouble at times, too. Um, another way we can use the devotional approach is if you have a hermeneutic that's just looking for principles in the Bible all the time. So you read the story of Moses, and we come away with eight principles for leadership, for instance, okay? So we've all, which is um, very common in churches today, right? That's why I don't like topical, topical messages, because then we, you kind of go over Scripture and find a bunch of points that are true, and then bring them all together, and it's probably all good stuff. Hopefully we stay in line. And it's like you go to a, a church and they're teaching on the, like I said, the leadership principles from Moses. It's probably all true stuff. And it's probably stuff that comes there. Is that what those passages were all about? Probably not. Um, is it true? Are they true things? Probably are. So um, if that's all we get, we never really get down sometimes what's the heart of the text. We might miss something of what's God. We make it one layer of what God's showing us, but not the bigger picture. Plus, when you're grabbing things all over the place without really looking at what those passages are really about, we can make up some stuff, too. You can, you can come up with some pretty good sermons that sound great that aren't necessarily supposed to be binding on us or just an opinion um, of a pastor. That's why 
Um, I always make great apologies when I'm doing a topical sermon because I'm terrified that I'm going to say something that's completely not right um, because it's just easy to have happen. Next is uh, what's called redemptive, redemptive or trajectory hermeneutic. I've talked about this one before. Um, this approach is actually not a hermeneutic all by itself. It's actually a supplemental hermeneutic people use in addition. And its intention has been designed to try to figure out, what about all those things that are cultural in the Bible that we don't know? Do they apply today or do they not apply today? And it's a hermeneutic trying to extract the truth about that from that. So that, that particular approach will actually use the approach I'm going to talk about this morning um, as terms of its basic meaning, what does the text say? But then it's trying to say, does it really mean to say that to us? Or is there something beyond that that God's actually trying to show us? Um, it looks for, at the trajectory of Scripture. Where is Scripture as a whole moving towards? Um, and believing that God ne- ne- didn't necessarily give us the final word here on some things, but was pointing us to where he was taking us. Um, of course, there's some dangers in that because then we're, we're projecting ahead. We're saying, okay, for instance, like on the, um, on the issue of uh, the, the guy wrote this particular thing, he used the area of slavery, for instance. And does Scripture seem to change how God is viewing slavery? Can we see where he's moving in that? And then can we project what his final word would have been, even though they would say we don't get it in the New Testament? Um, it's a little dangerous because we're guessing out there and to some degree. But it's, it's looking at the movement of Scripture. Where was it pointing towards? Um, ultimately, it would say that we don't get the final word on many things here, but it points us to the final word, and that's where it's kind of trying to look to. So um, it's called the redemptive or trajectory hermeneutic. Um, it's what belief and truth does it point to for our time. So it doesn't necessarily present the final answer, but it's trying to point us in the direction that God was moving us to ultimately arrive at. Um, Sometimes that particular hermeneutic gets combined with a kind of a Christianized rationalistic uh, hermeneutic that kind of come together. Anyways, next one is a neo-orthodox, which isn't really the best word because we don't use that word anymore, um, a fairly modern um, hermeneutic. And it, it's, uh, it looks at events and stories in Scripture. This is where um, the emergent church would have landed on this, on this particular hermeneutic today. Um, events and stories are not necessarily true. But they're a record of people trying to describe what God did in their midst. So the, um, the story of Jonah, for instance, is not necessarily a true story, but it was written because it's describing an experience that those people had with God. So they had an encounter, an experience with God. They want to describe it. They want to share it. And so they create stories. So we do that, right, to some degree? We have an experience with God. We tell a story to try to describe it. It's like to, to, to try to express the encounter that we had in a way that people that can communicate with people. And so that approach to hermeneutic is looking at scripture that's not necessarily all true that's here, but it's, it's their best way of describing their encounter with God. And the, ultimately, the purpose of that hermeneutic is to then take, as I look at, this is what they experienced, in, ex, experienced with God and how they described it. How can I bring that into today? How do, how do I experience God today? Um, the Bible becomes God's revelation as we encounter God in her. Remember we talked about the fact that we said some people, the viewpoint is that the Bible isn't God's word, but it becomes God's word as we encounter the stories in it. The Spirit makes it become God's word in our life. Um, it would view scriptures as not static, like one meaning, one objective truth, but it's dynamic and open and changing, that God is always revealing more of more something more to us as, as we move along. So... Um, there's some issues with that, um, I would say. 
very common in our churches today um, to, to approach it that way. So we should be aware and understand. The last one here, and there's other ones, but the last one I'll talk about is the grammatical historical hermeneutic, which I'm going to unpackage for you this morning. Um, I believe it's the, the approach that best, um, it's, it's looking at this as you would a, a literature book, an ancient literature, to examine the, the grammar and the text and, and how to understand, how do I read it. Um, and we'll look at that in a moment. Um, it's trying to discover what the original readers actually understood by actually looking at the exact text of it. And by the way, it's important that we understand what they said and what they heard before we begin saying, so what is he saying to me? And that's the intent of that way. I follow the grammatical, historical, hermeneutic, and it's got different names to it, but I follow it, and here's a couple of reasons why um, we've adopted it here at this church um, and why I believe it's, it's valuable. Um, one, I think it's the one that best honors an understanding of scriptures as being inerrant. It, it treats this text as tr- trustworthy and true. Um, and so I'm going to let the words speak for themselves as they are written to me. Uh, secondly, it, it, um, in my experience, that method has done the best job at limiting my own subjective viewpoints. So we all come to Scripture carrying all sorts of ideas, right? We have all, as a matter of fact, we've even heard interpretations of the word from some since we were little kids. And you read a passage and you immediately think of the interpretation. Suddenly the interpretation is now God's word. Well, it isn't. Uh, we want to get to the text. What was this saying? And so we bring all of our own thoughts into it, our own experiences, all sorts of things that God can use in his spirit, but they can also really track us in a way that doesn't, isn't right. Um, and so finding a method that helps limit how much I bring to it and letting the text speak for itself, I need that. Or it's just, I'm just going to read to it and say, what do, what do I think it means? And that's not, that's not the best place to start. And so this, this particular approach helps at least somewhat limit some of that, bring ourselves into the text and letting the text speak for itself first before we begin to think, what do I think of it? So like I said, it allows the author, who is the spirit, to interpret it for us. It lets scripture speak for itself. Um, number four, it's, it's actually the most natural the way to wit, look at a written text. If I pick up an ancient book, if I pick up, I had to read the Iliad when I was in ninth grade, Homer's Iliad. And I, you look at it, there's a way to study it that's appropriate to that kind of text. It's, it's, it's poetry. It's, it's set up with certain kinds of stanzas. It's got certain word patterns. And so if I'm going to understand how, how, what he meant to say and what, how Homer's writing it, I, I treat it in the way it's written. And so the grammatical historical method treats the written word like a written text meant to convey truth to us. And then lastly, it's actually the most common way that scriptures were interpreted in the early church. Um, Many people think that this was just as, as this started by the Reformation. The Reformation actually re, um, brought back what the early church fathers originally did. Um, and so it, it's, it's got a long history to it. So I'm going to explain it as we go through. So here we go. Um, how do we go about interpretation? How do we draw meaning out of the text if we adopt that particular, the historical grammatical hermeneutics? So I just want to walk us through that so it will help us as we study the text, as we... Um, begin to uncover, trying to say, what is God trying to say? And uh, the things I'm sharing here, I stole them from John Stott, so if they're not original with me, he, he did a great job of laying, I put a bunch of extra stuff in here, but the basic pattern here, um, I totally plagiarized. So just so you know that, um, he's passed away and is in heaven today, so I'm sure he's okay with this. But um, so anyways, here we go. We have, uh, we have three teachers, three principles. 
three teachers and three principles for, for understanding what scriptures teach. Um, the first thing is we have three teachers, which is good news. Um, the first teacher we have is the Holy Spirit. We start with the Holy Spirit. If he's the author of this book, then he's the best interpreter of the book. So we have the Holy Spirit as an instructor, which is why we often pray, Lord, this Holy Spirit is our only teacher this morning. And in the end, what does he communicate is what we need to pay attention to. Second Peter one twenty one. we looked at this several times already, but the Holy Spirit was the agency by which the word came to us. And so he makes the best one to teach us its truths. And he does two things. Number one, he reveals God to us. We have it right here. We have the revelation of God brought to us by the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing the Holy Spirit does is he takes what's here and he illuminates our hearts and minds to its truth. That's his job. Um, that's what he's called to do in us. And he does it um, in two, let me just lay out a couple, a couple ways that it happens in terms of illumination. Um, so the Holy Spirit illuminates us to gain understandings of his re- understanding of his revelation. First of all, he illuminates believers, the scriptures tell us. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, we have the spirit from God so we might understand the things freely given to us by God. It's a great verse. God gives us this and he says, I've given you the Holy Spirit so that you can freely, freely understand the things that God has given to us. And how do we get that? The Holy Spirit says, who knows the mind of God? But the Spirit of God, who what? Dwells within us. We can actually know the mind and heart of God because of the Holy Spirit being instructor. So those who know Christ and have the Holy Spirit, um, he illuminates believers, our hearts. Second of all, he illuminates the humble. Matthew eleven twenty five says, um, it tells us that he reveals these things to those who are like children. Um, when children hear and you instruct them, it changes at a certain age, doesn't it? But there's a certain age they're like, just, they're just ready to hear um, because they don't know. And um, so he illuminates those who come to his word humbly. Psalm 119 verse 18 says that we are to come to him and say, God, show me the truth in your word. Um, dependent and humble people um, get the revelation from the Holy Spirit. And then th- third, um, thirdly, he illuminates the obedient. You can see that in John 7. John 14, um, if we come to the word and God, God, show me what you have here, and then I'll think about whether I want to do it. Um, I don't think we're really going to see the truth there. He illuminates those who come saying, Lord, show me, and I'm ready to respond to it. And God says, I'm I'm eager to show myself to those people because they're ready to take what I've offered to them. So the Holy Spirit is our first teacher, and he illuminates believers, he illuminates the humble, and he illuminates the obedience. The second teacher is ourselves. Um, not in isolation, but the, we looked at the other weeks. The study to show thyself approved to God, workmen that don't need to be ashamed doing what? Rightly handling the word of truth. Be diligent to show yourself approved. Uh, Timothy is told to um, take great pains to his teaching and to his doctrine. We have a role in that. We have a part that God gives us in terms of knowing his word. We can't just, um, I tried this, okay? When I was a kid, I tried this. It didn't work. Put it underneath your pillow and lay down and thinking that you're going to understand what's in here. I really believed that I was going to wake up next morning and I was going to have the disciples experience where God showed himself in all of the scriptures. And it didn't happen. I just had an ache on my head. Um, and there's, there's work to do to pull it as truth. Remember we said, what was the very first thing we're supposed to do? Just read it, right? 
Just read it. That's part of our role. So remember we said, it doesn't matter how much you read, just read something every day. We have, a, we have a role to play in this. And as we mature and grow, digging deeper for the things that God has for us and doing some of the hard work that we'll look at this morning in order to uncover his truths. So we're told to s- seek the scriptures like the Bereans. We're told to pay close attention to our teaching and doctrine. We have a responsibility in this part of the process. Now, if, that's, if we ourselves are the only teacher, we're in trouble, okay? But we are part of the process of so the Holy Spirit, ourselves. The third teacher we have is the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit, teaching one another. And Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. And it says, admonishing and teaching one another in all sorts of different ways, including music, by the way, which that verse is about. Um, the Old Testament and the majority of the New Testament was given to groups of people. It was written to communities. And so it makes sense that it would be best to understand in community with one another. Um, sitting in, in a study all by ourselves and never ever interacting with anybody else about the word will probably lead us astray. Um, when you have a leader of a church who leads in isolation from anybody else and is declaring the word of God all the time, it usually leads people astray. Because we're not meant to that. We're meant to help understand God's word in the community of one another. That's both this church here, each other, but it's the wider body of Christ. And so, um, which is why it's important for us to dialogue about stuff and ask questions about things. Um, Keely put something on Facebook this week, right? A question on, on a parable, and there's a little interactions with it. It's great to hear from other people. Um, it's good to hear from other people who disagree with us. And to hear from them and hear their perspectives and bring that into things. Um, it's essential for us to understand word that we do it in community with one another. And so our third teacher is one another. So we all have a responsibility towards each other um, in doing that. By the way, that does not mean that we assign, as I said, sole authority to church leaders to tell us what to believe. Or whatever a specific church tells us to believe or some individual who's very strong in their personality is telling you what to believe, um, it doesn't always mean that they're right. But it does mean that we must learn and test our learning and our interpretation within the context of the body of Christ. That's just how we do it. Um, And we may wrestle with it with each other for a long time, but God uses that as a vehicle by which to bring us to his truth. So our three teachers, the Holy Spirit, ourselves, our own diligence to do the hard work, and one another in the body of Christ. And then there's three principles, three principles. Um, and there's actually a much longer list, but I love the way he does this. He just makes it pretty simple. I like stuff that's simple. Um, as a matter of fact, I believe scriptures are supposed to be understood fairly simply, so the long, complicated lists don't, don't help me any. Um, I like this. So three principles for getting the word, getting the truth of the word out. The first one is read it in the natural sense. Read the scriptures in the natural sense. Um, if you've been doing the reading thing, you picked it up each day or listened to it, and you read it, you heard it like a book. You read it like you would a book. You pick it up, and you read it and enjoy it. And that's just reading that says, under, believing that God's actually going to show you something in it. Um, behind that is the principle, I, what I call the principle of simplicity of Scripture. Though God has left many things about himself a mystery, um, and although some secondary issues might lack full clarity, I believe that the majority of God's word, when we read it in a straightforward manner, in its natural and normal sense, is pretty clear. It's pretty clear. Um, 
I read it, and I'm going, you know, yeah, that makes sense. You can read through Matthew, and most of it probably you knew what was going on. You knew it was trying to be communicated. It made sense to you. There's a little place going, gosh, what was going on with that issue or that issue? There's some un- unusual things because it's a different culture than us, but majority of it should have been fairly clear. God gave us the word, why? To reveal himself, right? He, he said, I, I want them to know me, so I'm going to give them the word. He's not playing hide-and-seek with himself and what he wanted to reveal to us. He wanted us to get it. And so he gave us a book that we can just pick up and you can read it just like you would any other book, and it's going to communicate to us. So read it that way. When I read it like that there's a secret code, um, I'm going to miss what's here because God didn't give us a secret code. He gave us a book we get to read, and he meant, meant for us to understand it. Um, and so we should read it in a normal, natural sense. Um, God gave us a word to reveal, not hide. He wants to reveal his glory, his character, his nature, his mission, his plan for us. Um, and by the way, can we all agree that that's enough for us to deal with? And he makes that stuff pretty clear. What his mission is, what he's trying to do, what redemption's about, a bit about himself. It is more than enough to occupy our entire life to get a hold of that. As a matter of fact, it's hard enough to get through one day following God's ways, isn't that? And, and walk with him, much less having to figure out there's something more I've got to figure out. There's, a, there's enough for us to deal with um, right there on the surface as we walk through it. We don't have to be a scholar to read and understand his word. Um, there are things that we can learn and develop to, get, to, to, to discover fresh layers of truth there that are more there. It helps us make more greater connections between the word. But on its surface, a brand new believer can pick it up and read it and go, wow, I got something. Because the word is meant to be read in a natural way and is meant to be fairly simple. If someone presents a complicated process, or if I present a super complicated process of getting at the truth, um, either the truth is not all that important to get, perhaps, um, or it's a misguided approach altogether. I'd just be cautious about that. Um, it should be fairly straightforward for us because God wants to reveal himself. Second of all, read it in the original sense. Read it in the original sense. And this is the, kind of the heart of the grammatical historical method. This is, do this, this is doing the studying work of examining in detail to see what the original hearers would have understood. What did the original author intend to convey? I want to see originally, what did he mean? What was God trying to say through him when it was first written? Um, this is where this hermeneutical approach has the most impact. Because we believe the book to be the inerrant word of God given to us through the natural vehicle of a written text, then it makes sense to study it like that, to look at it. It's just, it's just the way you would look at it, any ancient text. Um, to walk through the usual normal steps of studying any ancient text. So this is what the grammatical historical method is about. It's trying to go back um, and see what was actually there. And there's two aspects to it. It's a historical look at the book and a grammatical look at the book. Historical and grammatical. So the historical part is answers these kind of questions. This is why when we do an introduction to the book, I love that part because this is fun stuff for me. Um, what was taking place at the time? When was it written? Who wrote it? To whom was it written? It matters. So the book that was written to the Corinthians and what was going on in the Corinthian church, it matters what was happening there because it impacts how we understand um, the writing there. So it answers those kinds of questions. What was taking place? When was it written? Who wrote it? To whom was it written? What was the purpose of the writing? What was going on in the world at the time? 
that would help me understand what, what's behind this. Um, so when we read about Jesus entering to Jerusalem, and we understand that what was going on that day and that week in Jerusalem and the festivals that were happening, it, it just opens up what was going on there, what Jesus, the significance of what Jesus was doing. That's just understanding the historical context of what was happening. It, it opens up and unpacks the scriptures for us. Um, and then it also, the historical aspect of it, looks at are there any cultural issues here that I need to understand better or that impact how we understand that today? Um, and I'm going to comment about that part of it in just a few moments. The second half of that is their grammatical look. Some of you are going to groan about that. Some of you are just going to love this kind of stuff. But it's, it's, um, it's looking at sentence structure and how they're ordered and what the words mean. I mean, we have words translated in our English Bibles today that, I mean, words change meaning, don't they? So they, we put a word there. Is this really what, does the word today mean the same thing as the word meant back then? Looking at that kind of stuff. Um, if, if those of you like diagramming sentences, there's all sorts of truth that comes out of doing that when you do that. It's like, man, I can see how this whole thing's working together. It's kind of fun because it was written that way. Um, so looking at those kinds of questions, looking at sentences, diagrams, word choice, sentence structure, style of writing, the language that was written in. By the way, you don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to do that. You have a concordance. It'll actually, you can look up the word, and it'll show you in the back what that word's about. So you don't, it's, it all makes it easy for us. Um, what kind of book is it? Is it poetry or history or a narrative that all impacts the way we understand and read those books? Is the statement a prescriptive statement, like, do this? Or is it descriptive? It's saying they walk down the road, and that's going to impact the way I look at that passage. What did a certain word mean back then as opposed to now? Are there rhetorical questions here? Is, the, is it meant to be taken literally, or is it, or is it is illustration and symbolic? All those kinds of questions are part of the grammatical process. It's fun, you know? It's, it's, called, it's called study. Uh, it's going to say, be diligent to apply yourself to the word, which is why I love what we're doing this month. We're, we're just reading and just letting it wash over us and getting the picture. But there's a place at times for going... What was going on here? What does this word mean? I, get to, I keep hearing Paul uses the same phrase. He's used it at least 100 times so far. So what's that phrase about? And actually unpacking what that looks like and why that was common back then and what he was really trying to communicate. That's part of this grammatical study of this taking a look at, trying to get back at what did they actually mean to say. So it's historical and grammatical. So we look at the natural sense. Just read it. The truths are going to come through. Second of all, what was the original sense? What did it originally convey to us? Um, and then there's a third principle. Before I do that, I just want to make a few comments about dealing with the cultural issues in the scriptures. We, it's, it was written to people a long time ago, right? And they did things that we don't do today, and it was understood in some different ways. So there's a lot of that in the scripture. Um, and so I'll give you my thoughts about it. Some of this is personal opinion, so I'm just putting it out front for you. Um, you can disagree with me and challenge me, and I that would be a good discussion to have. I think it's important that we have these. Um, when we come across things that are highly connected to culture um, in scriptures, the question is, because what, what things are binding on us? It's telling us to do the same thing. Um, and what ones are not? So greet each other with a holy kiss. Are we all supposed to actually be doing that or not? It's a cultural issue. We don't, we don't do that. Other places do. Um, we don't do that. I'd, I'd get kind of creeped out about the whole thing. But that's, that's kind of, you know... So what, what about that? Is that? Was that binding for all times, transcultural, 
Or is that just for them, but it's not for now? Or is there something we're supposed to take and, and pull it up to this time? Does everything have permanent validity? Or do we reject all teachings that are culturally dated um, and just cast them aside, which some people do? Or is there a middle ground that we, we, um, we accept the biblical instruction as permanently binding on us, but we take the issue and we transfer it in a, a way that's culturally fitting for us today? All those kinds of questions. So just, I'm just going to give you a few comments because... Um, just for what they're worth, okay, as far as walking through that. Number one, I believe that we should accept the Bible first at face value. This is what he gave us. God gave it to us in a certain time, in a certain place, in a certain setting. He knew what he was doing. So when we get stuff that seems foreign, he's washing feet, accept it at face value first, because this is what he gave us, um, and take it first. Unless there's a compelling reason to see something as only applicable at the time, I would just call, call us to give it consideration. Rather than just casting aside because it seems, oh, ba- baptism is weird, isn't it? Baptism is, a, is something that's not culturally transferable, but we do it. We, we dunk people underwater. We go into the fountain with, like, with Cameron that one day, and we dunk them in the fountain, you know? What's with it? That's kind of weird. But we believe it's, it's, we take it at face value first. And unless there's a compelling reason to put it aside, um, I think we should give it consideration. Second of all, I don't think it's as big an issue as we make it out to be. There's um, a huge number of things people go, well, we don't do that, and we don't do that. What about this? Most of them are pretty clear that why we don't do them. Um, if you just read it, I don't think it's as big an issue as we make it out to be. I would contend that there are actually very few instances that are actually very problematic and really create a, a difficulty for us. Um, and you can challenge me on that, but that's kind of where I come from on that. Um, thirdly, descriptive passages are not always meant to be prescriptive. So when it's describing something, um, it's, it may be an illustration. It's not trying to tell us to do those things. So like I said, when the disciples are sent out in a certain way, it doesn't necessarily mean we're supposed to do that. Um, fourth, um, most passages that have a cultural bent, something going on there, are going to give us a clear indication of how to handle it. Let Scripture speak to itself first. So um, if you really look at some of these passages where these things show up, very often the passage itself is going to let us know what to do with it. So, um, for instance, the passage in Corinthians talks about women wearing head coverings. Um, people come, well, we don't do that anymore. So I used to teach in churches that everybody wore head coverings, so we honored that. But I don't think it's applicable today. I don't think you're supposed to do it. We can. Um, so what do we do with that? If you actually read the passage, the passage is all about authority. It's, you read through it, it is clearly a passage talking about authority. You can't miss it. It doesn't even take interpretation to get there. It's, it talks about it over and over again. Paul's trying to talk about authority. Align people to understand how does God view authority. And then he even says to them the head covering was a symbol. He's telling us this is, it's, it's an illustration of this point I'm trying to make. And so the passage itself lets us know the issue here is authority. If we miss that, we miss the passage. If we think it's all about head coverings, we totally miss what he was trying to say. It's all about authority. He says it over and over and over again. And so then I would look at that going, it's not really an issue. This is not a cultural issue. He's just giving us an example of that. Let's make sure we get that um, right. Another example of that would be um, the Jesus washing disciples' feet. So if we had all of us sit down, we all read the passage together, even somebody who's never read it before and going, what was that passage all about? What's one word? What would it be? Servanthood, right? He says it over and over again. Um, even when he says, what I'm doing, I want you to do likewise, he's not even referring to the foot washing. He's talking about being a servant. 
And so it's not meant to tell us to wash feet. We can do it. Actually, it's a great exercise. But um, it's not right, It's not transferable. Servanthood is. And he makes it very clear. So the passage itself will more often than not give us a clue as to what to do with it. Um, and so just in, look at that as you walk through those things. Um, I'm not going to say much about this, but concerning the Old Testament and all the kinds of things, like all the laws and all kinds of stuff, the New Testament actually tells exactly what to do with those things. Um, that the, um, unless except some of the moral laws, they just don't apply. Paul makes it very, very clear. Um, so questions like, gosh, am I supposed to wear a robe like they wore? Paul has already made that very clear to us. He makes it very clear in the New Testament. Things have changed. Um, two more. One, it's a great danger, because we all do this, to allow our present cultural sensitivities to be the driving force to understanding Scripture. Um, it doesn't mean that that's not part of it and God uses it. We, um, every, every generation, right, has different ideas about things. And we all, I'll read some Scripture going, that doesn't make sense to me. That's, that's ridiculous that they do that this way. That's, why? Because I have a certain perspective because I, I live in this country at this time of life and I have a certain perspective. doesn't mean it's a right or wrong thing, but it's, I would caution us to be very careful to let that be the driving force to understand what the scriptures are about. Because it always changes, and our cultural sensitivities in America are not all correct sometimes. Um, God knows better. So um, we understand that we all bring that to the text when we read it, but don't let that drive the meaning of the text. Try to let the scriptures show us for itself. And then uh, one comment on the end. Um, oftentimes... Um, there will be a text that people argue about for centuries and centuries and centuries and where a conclusion comes to it. This is what the text says. And then suddenly there's like new information. Somebody says, well, we've discovered this about the early church. And this new information completely changes everything that we understood about the text. I have great caution about that. Um, that, that would mean that the last 2,000 years, nobody could get it right. And that's, God didn't do that. He wasn't trying to hide it. He's trying to show it. So when you hear some new idea, usually it's going to enhance what we understand. If it completely changes everything we know about this passage, um, I've got, I would just be very cautious. That's what I say. Just be very cautious about that um, because it just means that God kept it from everybody else for the last hundreds of years, and I don't think that's the case. So we read it in the natural sense, the original sense, and lastly, just very briefly, we read scriptures in the general sense. By that mean, means that we look at how the interpretation fits within God's bigger story. So by that, we look at a passage. We look at the context around it, right? We look at the book. We look at the New Testament. We look at the Old Testament. We get the bigger picture. We see, let Scripture be its own interpreter. It's, if God is the author, everything should be in harmony. And when it's not, then it means either we're not getting it yet, or he's not going to show it to us right now, or guess what? We got it wrong. <laughs> And we need to kind of reconsider what God has for us. So it's meant to be in harmony with each other. The Lord does not change. And so even the parts that don't seem to fit, they do. Um, so let Scripture interpret Scripture, and for by doing so, we let God interpret his own words to us. Um, so that's reading in the general sense. Like I said, there's no secret code to understand the Bible. So we read it, and much will be clear. Then we examine it. And then we compare the interpretation in light of the whole. And then we start getting an idea, this is what he was saying back then. This is what he tried to communicate. And then I can go, so God, what am I supposed to do with that? What do you want to do with that here and now, here in this place um, in my life? So three, three closing reflections, just 
three closing, closing thoughts before we uh, sing a bit. Number one, um, God wants us to know his truth. It's good news. Um, he's, he's not hiding it from us. God wants us to know his truth. That's why he gave us it to us. Most of the scripture is actually quite clear, and all the basics of belief and faith are discernible by any believer opening up the word and reading it. And like I said, all there's deeper things, and there's new insights, and there's fresh connections that are all discovered as we learn to study better and as we mature in the faith. Scripture is meant to be known by all of God's people, all of God's people, not hidden. And so when we make an interpretation that um, it takes a scholar to ever figure out the heart of what that passage is about, we probably got it wrong. We might have gotten it wrong. So just some caution about that. Um, God wants us to know his truth so we can open it going, you know what? He's going to show me what he has to say. He's, he is actually going to show me. He's eager to show us if we're hungry to hear his truth. Second of all, maintain unity. Don't comp- we shouldn't compromise what we believe to be true but we should work very hard to maintain unity in the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, With all humility and with gentleness and with patience, bearing, one, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Some of our discussions about interpretation are not marked by that passage. Um, and that's a shame to us as, as, as people of God. Um, with humility... And with gentleness and with patience, we're to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And on some things, interpretation, that's hard work, isn't it? Sometimes it is hard to stay in that place with people, but doing so, saying, God, you're going to instruct me in that. Do what you want to do. So just call us to, it's, it's just way easier to, to separate. It is easier to separate and divide. It just is. And um, that's not God's heart. Um, and then thirdly, maintain a correct posture. It doesn't mean you have to sit down when you're reading or whatever. Um, it means these things, to come before the word humbly, come before the word open, um, saying, God, feed me. And if you don't give me something from here, I languish. Come listening, come depending, come ready to respond, and come with a deep longing and a deep hunger to hear from God. That's maintaining a correct posture to the word. And we come before each other that way. And we come before God's word that way. Um, Brian, if you could bring the, the worship team up. Let me just say that last one one more time. Come before the word humbly. Come open. Come listening. Come depending. Come ready to respond and with a deep longing and hunger um, to hear from God. The, the communion elements that we have every week here um, are part of God's way of bringing us to that over and over again. Because we come before him, we come before Jesus before we come before this word. Um, God revealed himself in the person of his son to us. And as we gather around this table, we come and our hearts need to be humbly, open, listening, thankful, um, ready, and above all things, hungry for him and longing for him, and recognizing that we can go through the week, and that's not our heart. Um, It's become dull to him. And so even as we sing this morning, um, as we together gather around the table as as a a unified body of Christ, um, a fresh way to say, Lord, I 
I need you. Thank you for what you did um, for me. So let me pray for the uh, elements here, and then um, we'll enter into our time of worship. You, if you know the Lord, you're welcome to partake of our communion together this morning. Father, thank you for your word that you desired relationship with us so much that you have brought revelation through your son and you've given us your words in this written word that we can know you. Thank you above all for the work of Jesus to um, open the way, the, the gates for us to be changed and renewed and to receive the Holy Spirit and that we can actually um, walk in fellowship with you. And so we come around the table hungry, we come needy, um, and we come thankful because you always provide. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.